Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR Show, where we save you time by providing you the too-long-didn't-read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your Threat Intel Briefing for the week of April 23rd, 2023 through April 29th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube will keep pushing out new content to you as it is published. And then if you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and also make sure on both platforms that you check out the description because there is a link to the show notes. So all the articles that we cover, you can go check them out and read them a little bit further in detail because obviously we don't get to all the details of the specific articles. And then there are other articles that we just didn't have time to cover that will be included in there as well. So again, the link will be in the show notes for that, or in the description rather. And then last point, if you're looking for cybersecurity training, if you're looking for career services, things like career coaching or mock interviews, maybe you need help with your resume and cover letter, check out cybertrainingpro.com again that's cybertrainingpro.com and all those services and options are available for you so without any further delay we're going to go ahead and jump into the first article so first article is u.s policing ai at companies to make sure it doesn't violate civil rights u.s officials on tuesday warned financial firms and others that use artificial intelligence ai and heighten the risk of bias and civil rights violations and signal their policing marketplaces for such discrimination. Increased uh, reliance on automated systems in sectors including lending, employment, and housing threatens to exacerbate discrimination based on race, disabilities, and other factors, the heads of Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, Justice Department's Civil Rights Unit, Federal uh, Trade Commission, and others said. Growing popularity of AI tools, including Microsoft corporate-backed OpenAI's ChatGPT. If you didn't know, Microsoft supports ChatGPT. They're putting like a billion dollars into it. Has spurred U.S. and European regulators to heighten scrutiny of their use and prompted calls for new laws to rein in the new technology. In finance, firms are legally required to explain adverse credit decisions. If companies do not even understand reasons for the decision their AI is making, they cannot legally use it, Chopra said. So this should be no surprise, right? With the continued evolution and the uptick in utilization, uh, so companies that are using AI, people are using AI, right? They're using ChatGPT and all these different services. With that happening, right, are growing a reliance on that, it's no surprise that the government's going to start looking into it, right? That's kind of the trend with anything, right? There could be something brand new, a service, an application, a product, whatever, right? If it's not like an immediate concern, right, where it just raises immediate uh, warning, warning signs, then what they do is the government, they typically look for traction, right? So if this never really took off, if it wasn't really a big thing, you know, the government probably wouldn't look at it, honestly. But... Because there is a growing usage of it, it's just growing. Everybody's trying to make their own version of it, right? We're starting to see them look, the government look into it. And with the government looking into it, that also means there's going to be regulations around it, right? 
and things like, for instance, in this article, the thing that we covered, the note that we uh, we rose was about credit decisions, right? You know, that's a great example. If you're using credit, uh, artificial intelligence to make credit decisions, right, or inform you of how to make a decision on credit lending and things like that, well, it, it should be accurate, right? Like it shouldn't have bias based on, for instance, where you live, right? So if you live in a downtown metropolitan area, let's say maybe a less than favorable area, right? And you go for some large loan. Well, are there factors that qualify you for that loan, for example, right? It shouldn't just automatically discriminate you because you live in a you know, less than favorable area and you're trying to get a large loan, right? There should be other factors that go into that decision. And so that's really, you know, what this is trying to get done, right? Like this is, they're trying to eliminate all the bias they can and make sure that whatever information that it's acting on or it's providing, right, that it is accurate. It's not going to favor one set of people over another, right? Because that's always a concern with anything because you as a developer, right, you can make a service or artificial intelligence in this for example that is based on your morals, your beliefs, you know, whatever, right? But it's based on what you are putting into it, right? If it is on certain information, that could create a bias. You know, that, that's just, that's realistic, right? And that's why it has to be evaluated and make sure that those biases don't exist, especially if they're going to potentially negatively affect, you know, certain groups of people or certain decisions. So no surprise, we'll continue to see that, especially as the adoption rate grows with artificial intelligence. So, but that is a great thing to keep track of. OpenAI offers new privacy options for ChatGPT, right? This kind of a follow-on article. OpenAI is letting people opt to withhold their ChatGPT conversations from use in training the artificial intelligence company's model. The move could be a privacy safeguard for people who sometimes share sensitive information with the popular AI chatbot. The startup said Tuesday that ChatGPT users can now turn off their histories by clicking a toggle switch in their account settings. And when people do this, their conversa conversations will no longer be saved in ChatGPT's history sidebar located on the left side of the webpage if you've ever gone on there. And OpenAI's models won't use that data to improve over time. OpenAI is aiming to make people feel more comfortable using the chatbot for all kinds of applications. For example, during a demo of the feature on Monday, the company used the example of planning a surprise birthday party. We want to move, this is a quote, we want to move more in the direction where people who are using the products can decide how their data is being used, if it's being used for training or not. OpenAI Chief Technology Officer uh, Mira Murati said. So, one of the things that this reminds me of is, for instance, in the European Union. So in Europe, right? You have a lot of privacy regulations and how your data is collected, how it is used, and all of these things, right? In the United States, we don't have as strict a requirements in a lot of cases for data, right? For a user's data. Uh, I get junk mail all the time, right? That I guarantee I didn't sign up for. And, uh, you know, that, how do I get off that list, right? How do I do it? And that's one of the problems, right? It's like when you don't get to opt in, you know, when you're not 
presented with that, that, uh, that option, right? Your opt out by default. Well, then your information just gets shared. It gets sold off to other companies, like whatever, right? It's just, it's not good. And, you know, I think with this, that's probably one thing they're trying to eliminate, right? Or, uh, get the adoption rate up, right? Is in Europe because they're going to need those privacy regulations. But we've also seen where people are trying to trick the chatbot. So they're trying to trick ChatGPT into providing information. Like who was the last user that asked you a question? You know, if you can get that person's email address or some information about that user, well, that's an issue, right? The other thing is that people sometimes will ask questions that include information that they shouldn't put in there, right? We, we've heard about this, people doing this, and even accidentally, you know, intentionally, unintentionally, whatever, but it happens, right? And so that's a good step, right? Any step that you can increase privacy protections for users, you know, that's typically gonna be a good thing. But I, I wonder if it actually works, right? Like what if it's just a fake switch and like you can see that your histories aren't saved, but really they're saved on the back end. You just don't have access to them. You know, that, <laughs> That's a question that comes up in my mind for sure. So uh, we will see again with the whole privacy regulations, all the regulations that are gonna start coming on artificial intelligence as the adoption rate grows, right? Again, we're gonna have to wait and see, but as the adoption rate grows up, government's gonna get a lot more interested, even more than it is now, right? So interesting article. <clears throat> Bill proposes new DH, uh, DHS centers for testing security of critical government tech. The Department of Homeland Security would create cybersecurity testing centers under new reg, le, uh, legislation based on a recommendation from congressional cybersecurity experts. Critical Technology Security Centers Act of 2023, introduced Tuesday by Re Representative Richie Torres, a Democrat out of New York, would create two cybersecurity-focused offices to evaluate the tests the, to test the security of critical technology used by the federal government. Spokesperson for Torres told Recorded Future News that the legislation emerged from the work of the Cyberspace Sol Solarium Commission, which recommended that Congress fund centers that would more centralize efforts directed toward evaluating the testing and testing the security of devices and technologies that underpin our networks and critical infrastructure. These centers, and this is a quote, these centers would strengthen the capacity of the U.S. government to test the security of critical technologies and when appropriate, assist in identifying vulnerabilities, developing mitigation techniques with relevant and original uh, equipment manufacturers and support new and ongoing efforts to certify technologies as secure, the spokesperson said. The centers would also play an important role as project managers and in some cases would provide funding for the broader research community already working towards similar ends. So, you know, this brings up an interesting question, right? Because it's almost like in some cases, there's a huge disconnect between legislators and what's actually happening, right? For instance, right? You know, a lot of the stuff that's created, the products and services, they are tested for security vulnerabilities. So it's almost like injecting another uh, another step, which is, you know, typical for government, right? Inject another step, another document or something to fill out. And 
<laughs> you know, realize it's ridiculous. But, uh, you know, so it's interesting, right? They're gonna add another group to test or they're just gonna be project managers. I don't know, that seems, that seems kind of weird to me, right? I would be really interested to hear a little bit more about this because, you know, I, I that might that might not be the best use of funds, right? But again, there's always this disconnect between what actually happens and the legislators. So pretty interesting though that they're proposing that. Maybe they should look at NIST risk management framework, right? Or one of these requirements. See. Right. So next article, hackers to show they can take over a European Space Agency satellite. Cybersecurity researchers will show this week that they seize control of a European, European Space Agency, ESA, satellite in a demonstration that's been described as the world's first ethical satellite hacking exercise. Experts from French defense giant Thales announced on Tuesday that they, alongside members of the ESA team, provide an in-depth explanation of the attack scenario at the CYSAT conference in Paris. The exercise was planned before the release of a tranche, tranche of highly, highly classified U.S. intelligence documents, one of which warned that China is developing similar capabilities to seize control of what it assesses to be hostile satellites. The demonstrative attack was specifically organized for the CYSAT, I think that's how you say it, right? CYSAT CYSAT conference to provide an example of the uh, consequences that real world cyber attacks could have on civilian systems in space. So, you know, compromising satellites, breaking into satellites, that in itself is not that new, right? We've talked about that on this show before, that there has been examples and talks, right? About actually getting into satellites. And so that in itself is not uh, that, shocking right like you know it's happened but you know it kind of just reaffirms the idea of protecting critical infrastructure right so having checks and balances having penetration tests and things like that against critical infrastructure especially like space satellites right like that's important <laughs> to do but you know when we look at different technologies and things like that to hack to test Something like this is one of those things where it's an emerging area, right? So for instance, if you're trying to get into cybersecurity, or if you're looking for a unique area to go into to do cybersecurity for whatever, you know, something like this would be an emerging area that'd be a good spot. We also have things like car hacking, right? Car hacking is really taking off in the last several years because as the, especially cars, right? As those devices, those systems get more connected, you know, there's going to be more vulnerabilities, more bugs, things like that that you can exploit. But satellites can affect a lot more people, right? Like one car can affect that many people, right? Like it could. If there's a bug in a car and it's like in all the cars, yeah, that could affect it. But if you just compromise, let's say one car, right? It, it could affect some people around that car, depending on what you could do or in the car. But a satellite... You know, you compromise one satellite, you can affect a lot of people at once. And so that's really dangerous, especially if you could do things like getting it out of orbit, right? So it crashes back down into the earth. That would be really bad, right? So 
hopefully they take a really good look at this and they continue to improve that security that is in there. Next article, China revises law to include a certain cyber attacks as acts of espionage. The Chinese government passed an expansion on its counter espionage law on Wednesday that would, among other things, allow people to be charged as spies if they target critical infrastructure or government bodies with cyber attacks. The revised version of the 2014 law was passed by China's Standing Committee of the National People's Congress, the NPC, state media outlet Xinhua reported, and will go into effect on July 1st. According to a translation of the most recent draft of the law, acts of espionage now formally include network attacks or intrusions targeting state organs, units involved with secrets, or critical infrastructure perpetrated or funded by spying organizations and affiliated agents. More broadly, the espionage law also applies to agencies, organs, individuals, or other collaborators domestically or outside China who are involved in cyber attacks. The expanded cyber espionage law comes at a time of mutual suspicion around cyber interference between the United States and China, as well as foreigners working with China. In March, Chinese authorities detained an employee of a Japanese pharmaceutical company on suspicions of espionage, as well as five employees of the due diligence firm Mintz Group. So it's always interesting to see countries and governments start to talk about cyber attacks and espionage and how they're going to charge people if they can attribute it to certain people. You know, we've gotten pretty good, and this is as the world as a whole, right? In the cyber world, we've gotten pretty good at attributing certain attacks to people, right? Sometimes it takes a long, longer time than others because you have to build up that threat intelligence. You have to go through the whole like diamond model of intrusion analysis and find out who they did, who they were, what they did, what they used, right? Like all this stuff takes some time, especially the more sophisticated it is. But, you know, we've seen a lot of countries really start to add that cyber, uh, cyber attack, cyber crime aspect to their laws, right? Especially when dealing with outside, uh, outside the country. So APT groups, and government hacking groups and things like that, right? It's interesting to see China do it, right? <laughs> because I, I feel like they're in the news sometimes, you know, about hacking other people, right? Obviously, it's a lot of times North Korea. But we do see things uh, come out of China, you know, occasionally, right? Every so often. And so it's really interesting for them to morally take that stance, but then turn around and kind of, you know, throw that in the wind and do their own hacking of other places, right? So, you know, interesting. Uh, I think that's going to be something that probably will evolve. I'd be interested to see who the first person is that they're going to charge with that or the first group, right? Maybe they have somebody in mind. I don't know, right? We'll see. But uh, definitely interesting. Big tech crackdown looms as EU, UK, ready new rules. TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Google... And Amazon are facing rising pressure from European authorities as London and Brussels advanced new rules Tuesday to curb the power of digital companies. They're among, they're among those on a list of the 19 biggest online platforms and search engines that the European Union's executive arm said must meet extra obligations for cleaning up illegal content and disinformation and keeping users safe under the 27 nation blocks landmark digital rules that take effect later this year. UK government, meanwhile, unveiled draft legislation that would give regulators more power to protect consumers from online scams 
and fake reviews and boost digital competition. TikTok will allow Europe the European Commission officials to carry out a stress test of its systems to ensure they comply with the Digital Services Act, Commissioner Thierry Breton said in an online meeting. So, you know, this is another hot topic, right? Governments are continuing to try to press these companies that are, you know, basically social media companies or giants, right? Tech giants. And you have the Googles, the Facebooks, right? All these companies are gathering so much information. And so it's like this back and forth battle between them. But think about, you know, in your company, right? What kind of information are you collecting on users? You know, is it a lot of sensitive information? Are you gonna find yourself in the hot seat, right? As these privacy regulations continue to upscale, you know, where is the line that they're drawing in the sand as far as who they're gonna go after and really try to, you know, crack down on them, right? Obviously, you know, Google is an easy one, right? Like they have so much data on people, right? But, you know, is it gonna be somebody maybe half the size of them, half the size of Google? Maybe, you know, a very small company they'll go after if they're collecting the right kind of data, right? Maybe not even a lot of data. So it's always interesting, especially in Europe and the UK, when we see companies like Google, you know, constantly just getting, getting cracked down on it, I guess we'll say, well, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see, right? It's, it's just always this back and forth where they're always in the hot seat. It is interesting to see TikTok though, saying they're gonna allow a stress test because they're like, you know, they are, they're effectively the one to watch out for, right? Because they have ByteDance, ByteDance is connected to China and, um, you know, like they, they have been show, showing that they're shipping data, shipping data back to China, right? So, and even though they keep saying they're not, right? So, yeah. But it will be interesting if the UK is okay with TikTok, right? Will that change the minds of like the US government or state governments in the US? Because we see a lot of them banning TikTok, right? So it'll be interesting to see. Malware-free cyber attacks are on the rise. Here's how to detect them. With little more than smart reconnaissance and existing tools, adversaries are increasingly capable of compromising an enterprise network without making any noise or leaving a trace behind. In fact, according to the CrowdStrike CEO, George Kut, uh, Kurtz, and President Michael Sintonis, 71% of enterprise cyber attacks in calendar year 2022 were done without malware. The legendary cybersecurity duo profiled the Spider Cybercrime Group from the stage as a perfect example of the phenomenon. First, Spider initiates an in-depth intelligence gathering effort. Once they had a specific user in their sites, Spider initiates a voice call informing the user their credentials had been compromised. Victims are then sent a malicious link and prompted to enter in not just their login details, but their multi-factor authentication, their MFA data. Spider then uses the Tails operating system and Evil Jinx 2 to compromise the user's credentials to set up an AnyDesk account controlled by the cyber attackers. AnyDesk remains a popular remote desktop tool among threat actors, Kurtz added. Spider also uses dedicated machines that hide their identity 
and run their code on hardware as much as possible to avoid detection. So, you know, obviously when malware gets loaded onto systems, ideally, right, we can pretty quickly identify that malicious software because it's, you know, it's foreign software to that system, right? It's, it did not start on that system. It came from somewhere else. And so when they are able to, in a, uh, to ex, uh, exploit a system, to get into a system, right, to access it without having to install malware where it's going to be suspicious and draw, draw alarms, use something that is, you know, a legitimate kind of program. I'm not too familiar with any desk, but, you know, any kind of monitoring kind of software like, um, you know, TeamViewer or something like that, right, whatever. I mean, something that is not going to necessarily trigger a vulnerability scan or a, uh, an anti-malware scanner, right? Because they're not necessarily going to be looking for that. They're going to be looking for, you know, whatever, some malicious DLLs, whatever a name of one is, right? Insert name here. So the other thing I think, too, that is important with this is really the reason for this is because if they can get a user, you know, a trick a user to do something where they then get access, that's an easier attack vector, right? Because then at that point, they're not gonna set off all the alarms, right? They're just gonna be in. And then what are you gonna do, right? It's harder because now you have to detect an insider threat with those accounts, those credentials, those that access, even though that person is still doing legitimate things in their job and they probably don't even know. Right. And so that's why insider threat is so important. It's not necessarily just because your employee, you know, is doing something. Right. It could just be that their credentials are compromised. And now we have to detect that. Plus, we have to distinguish, you know, is that person malicious, our actual employee, or is this somebody acting, doing these actions with their account? Right. And that's hard, right? That's very hard. And that's why too, you cannot use things like shared accounts, right? Shared accounts are super dangerous because think of that same scenario, but now instead of just one user with that account, you have 10 users that use that same account. How, if you couldn't even do it with one user having their individual account and attribute who, what actions they did versus what actions the attacker did, how are you gonna do that with a shared account that has a lot of act, a lot of people accessing it. It's just not going to be possible. It's going to be really, really hard. So, you know, it's an interesting trend, right? But I think that still continuing best practices and doing a lot of the stuff that you should be doing will help combat that, right? The harder that you can make life for an attacker, the better off you'll be. So keep that in mind. Military helicopter crash blamed on failure to apply software patch. An Australian military helicopter crash was reportedly caused by failure to apply a software, pa software patch with a hefty uh, side serving a pilot error. The helicopter in question is an MRH-90 uh, Taipan operated by the Australian Army and was engaged in what's been described as a routine counterterrorism training activity on March 23rd when it ditched just off a beach in the state of New South Wales. All 10 Australian Defense Force personnel aboard the helicopter were accounted for, 
but two experiencing what the Department of Defense described as minor injuries. Patch in question prevents pilots of the MRH-90 Taipan from performing a hot start of the Helos engine, a technique that sees the craft's motor powered down and then restarted. The MRH-90 is not designed to do that, with safe procedure instead being to leave the engine idling until it's turned off at the end of a flight. So, you know, think about this, right? The, the products and services that you support, right, or that you create, how critical are those for human life? You know, what, what are they tied to? What's the purpose, right? Something like a helicopter or a plane, you know, people are riding in those. They're flying in those, right? And if they crash because of a malfunction, potentially people could lose their lives, right? So that's super serious. Obviously, if it's like a laptop, you know, or like something that goes on a laptop, you know, maybe it's not as critical, right? Maybe if it's like a game or something, you know, but you have to take into account the sensitivity or the criticality of what you're dealing with, what you're producing things for, right? If you're making, you know, firearms, for instance, right? Then it's the same kind of idea, right? There's no software probably for those, but it's the same kind of idea, right? Cars, uh, trains, you know, what else? Cell phones, right? Like all of these things, health devices, right? That's a really important one. So not only, right, if you're developing them, do you have to create patches and make sure that they are not vulnerable as much as possible, but what happens if you're working in like a hospital, right, and a software patch comes out? How do you handle that? How fast do you have to apply that update, that patch, right? What does your policy say? Does it say within seven days? Let's say within 30 days, right? It's probably a certain time limit or a time frame based on criticality. That's usually what it is, right? So maybe it's like 90 days for a low vulnerability. Okay. You know, maybe it's a week for a critical vulnerability. Okay. That's pretty reasonable, right? So it's based on criticality and, you know, I don't know, right? Like not getting it applied to a helicopter that should have it. That seems like kind of a big deal. That seems like a miss in the maintenance department, right? Now, I guess it depends on if they were alerted of an update or something like that, you know, but, or the magnitude that it was described in that it would fix, right? Like what would it fix? And yeah, but I would think that if something, if a product or service could fail and that caused somebody to lose their lives or get seriously injured or injured at all, I would think that you would be a little bit more cautious with applying those updates, right? That's just a bad example of not doing, or I guess rather a good example of not doing that, right? Good example of a bad example. So very, very uh, concerning, right? So that's going to be the last article for this week. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Again, I'm your host, John Good. This is your Threat Intel Briefing for the week of April 23rd, 2022 through April 29th, uh, sorry, 2023 rather, through April 29th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're listening on a podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe, leave us a review. And then also check out the description because there is a show note uh, link to the show, show notes where you can see all the articles we talked about as well as some other articles. And then again, if you're looking for cybersecurity training, if you want career services, things like resume reviews and cover letter reviews, or even writing assistance, mock interviews, career coaching, We've got it all. We've got a private community as well. 
So check us out, cybertrainingpro.com. Again, that's cybertrainingpro.com for all your needs. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And I will see you next time.